trials, sidebars, hearings, settlement conferences, consultations. Lawyers talk a lot. It's what they do for a living. And if you get into a conversation with one, they tend to have some pretty good tales to tell. This is Law Stories, where we bring you the best attorney anecdotes. And here's your host, the president and CEO of M2M Legal, James Skiles. Welcome to Law Stories. Our guest this week is Craig Steger, an attorney partner with Hale, Skemp, Hansen, Skemp, and Sleek in La Crosse, Wisconsin, where he practices in civil litigation, including personal injury and medical malpractice. Craig, thank you for being with us. Good morning. So first off, tell us a little bit about yourself and your, uh, your former and current areas of practice. So I'm a, a civil litigation attorney or slash trial attorney. Uh, I've been practicing for, I guess, about 13 years here in the La Crosse, Wisconsin area. Um, I went to law school at Ave Maria, which is in, well, it was in Michigan. It's now in Florida. I grew up uh, farming and ranching in the Midwest and met my wife when I was in college preparing to be a priest, actually. And we're married and have uh, seven kids. We live on a small organic farm that I play around on when I'm not uh, practicing law. And I've been a partner here for uh, probably five years now and focus uh, mainly on uh, plaintiff's personal injury, uh, medical malpractice, and other litigation, sometimes commercial real estate litigation, things of that nature. How is it balancing your law practice and, uh, and running an organic farm? Well, I'd rather be on my farm for the most part, but uh, it's, a, it's a constant process. It's an evolving process. And uh, I've, the one thing I like about my practice and specifically doing litigation is, is my, my schedule is, is, it can be chaotic, but it's flexible and I have time. I, I don't know how many times I've had to leave office, leave the office early and go get cows in uh, when they go through the fences. And so uh, it's pretty good. I have my weekends pretty free. And uh, with the technology the way it is, I can do a lot of work on the weekends or evenings. Is it, uh, is it a dairy farm then? or? No, we're just, I guess we're more of a hobby farm. We raise uh, steers. Uh, we, we organically pasture raise our, our uh, steers. And then we have chickens and raise a large garden and uh, things of that nature. It's about 20 acres. So, yeah, I stay busy. I think it's just it's one of those things where, you know, as lawyers, we, we really do enjoy what we do. We enjoy practicing law in general. Uh, but, you know, every single lawyer I talk to says, you know, someday I'm going to, you know, just retire, semi-retire, slow down my practice and open a bar. Hmm. I think that's that's kind of at least around here that's the that's the common story of of what lawyers want to do when they're when they're not practicing laws they want to, they want to open a pub of some sort. I can I can relate to that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, being being from Wisconsin, I'm sure that uh, that uh, that the pub life is something that is somewhat familiar. Oh yes, yes. Okay, so here at Law Stories, we're all about sharing stories about the legal profession. So uh, why don't you tell us uh, what you consider your best and most and or most entertaining story from your practice? Well, I, as we were getting ready for this, I was uh, thinking through uh, my practice, which is longer than some, but certainly not as long as others. And I think as a, as a trial lawyer, maybe we have opportunities for these um, stories and events that are uh, somewhat more memorable. But 
I just tried a case. Uh, it was a mal malpractice case. I just tried here in La Crosse about a month, a little over a month ago. And it involved a, um, a, a bypass surgery where a cardiothoracic surgeon was doing a triple bypass surgery on my client. And during the course of the surgery, um, misplaced one of the grafts onto a vein instead of the artery. And for, for those that don't know what bypass surgery is, basically when you get older and you get heart disease and the, block, you know, and the arteries right around the heart get blocked, you don't get good blood flow. And so they go in and they take a piece of, oftentimes it's a vein. In this case, it was out of, out of his leg. And they take pieces of vein and they attach one end to the aorta. And then they kind of go around the blocked area and they try and plug the other end into the artery that's blocked. And then it kind of allows blood to flow around the bad spots. Well, in the process of doing so, he hooked one of them up to a vein instead of an artery, which caused all kinds of problems. And uh, it's, it's a, it was a, an error that really defied explanation. And so we worked it up and really were searching for some explanation for how the surgeon made what seemed to be a very, very simple error. And during the course of it, during the course of the case, we learned that he had, was actually on call at the time of our surgery and got interrupted uh, by some pages for a patient that had come into the emergency room. And, and as I was taking this doctor's deposition, uh, I was trying to ask about what, what had gone on, what he had learned. And of course, they were objecting on grounds that this is HIPAA, there's confidential issues related to this other patient. So I wasn't getting very far, but sort of on a hunch before the deposition, I had done some searching and I actually searched uh, the obituaries for our local paper for the week after this surgery and learned that a, a doctor at the same institution had passed away at a rel relatively young age. And I took down his name and during the course of the deposition, I just kind of just flat out asked him, I said, do you, and I, let's just, we'll just call him Dr. John Smith for purposes of this. Of conversation. And I said, do you know Dr. John Smith? And uh, I, I've never seen uh, someone's blood uh, go out of their face so quickly. And he looked at me and he looked over at his lawyer and his lawyer had no clue who that was and what that meant. And he looked back at me and, uh, and finally he said, I need to talk to my lawyer. And I said, you need to talk to your lawyer about whether you know this individual. And so we took a break and they talked. And of course he explained to his, uh, his lawyer who that was and they wouldn't let me answer any other questions. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that was one example of where I just, you know, sometimes you just got to go with your gut and you got to do a little searching. And I just kind of got lucky and, and, uh, and, and found this information online. I also found out uh, that this guy's wife had had a baby the very next day after our surgery. The, the doctor's wife, the, the doctor who, who passed away or the doctor who was performing the surgery? The doctor who was doing our surgery. Oh, okay. And that was sort of a fun little tidbit that I dropped on him. And, and, uh, and uh, so, you know, you have to do your homework with these cases. And sometimes you find, find these little tidbits of information that you you kind of hold in your back pocket until you take their depositions. And I recorded this doctor's deposition because I 
I really wanted to record his reaction to some of these questions, and I actually played a number of sections of his videotaped deposition during the trial because his reaction to the questions were were something that just isn't captured on transcript. So that's a recent uh, recent uh, case that I did that was. Uh, full of, uh, I guess, little memorable events for me, at least. So this this doctor who passed away, he was he was the emergency call that happened in the middle of your your patient your uh, client surgery. That's right. Wow. And what, we, and what we what we went on to learn, and I had to fight and battle for for medical records about this other patient. What we ended up learning um, after great effort was this patient actually had just had surgery. Uh, heart surgery at this at this institution, and that the surgeon that did our surgery had discharged him two days earlier. Oh. So the case was premised on the fact that, like literally during the 18 minutes during the surgery when our air was made, he was told that this patient was back in the emergency room doing very bad. So that's uh, it, it, and that actually is very is very telling about malpractice cases, which are very difficult to try, very difficult to win. And, and we lost that trial. Uh, despite all that information, we lost that trial because these cases are very difficult to try, very difficult to win. And even with that kind of information, at least here in my, my experience here in, in Wisconsin, juries are very, very reluctant to find doctors negligent. Is it because of respect for the profession, or what would another case? What what makes malpractice so difficult to prosecute as a as a as a plaintiff's attorney? Right. Well, there's a whole lot of things. That's one of them. Uh, juries, and I I can't speak for juries around the country because most of my practice is here in Wisconsin. Although I do practice in Minnesota and Iowa as well, but juries. Juries have great respect for doctors uh, and, uh, and and don't like lawyers. And so you put lawyers in there accusing doctors and it kind of feeds into two very strong biases they have. And so they will uh, give doctors great benefit of the doubt unless you just have some very egregious situation uh, or, or something along those lines. The other thing that makes them difficult is they're very expensive. Uh, you you have to hire doctors from around the country, oftentimes, and multiple experts, and the and the defendants have sort of unlimited resources uh, to try these cases, and they and they really try and spend you to death. So you have well, to you have to have a good case before you get into one of these things, and even a good case is difficult to win. Is it a situation though, since uh, medical malpractice is a, is a tort, uh, is it a situation where Attorney's fees are on play as well, though, as far as a settlement or judgment is concerned? Um, you can get statutory attorney's fees, which are just a token amount here in Wisconsin. If you win, it's like $500, which is, it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Uh, so that's irrelevant. And uh, it, you just, uh, and, and, st- and attorney's fees are capped here in Wisconsin. We have a lot of tort reform here in Wisconsin that really benefits the malpractice uh, insurance companies and doctors. Uh, there's been a very, a lot of uh, lobbying efforts to to make it more difficult for plaintiffs to bring these cases and win these cases. That's interesting because we have a jurisdiction here in Illinois down in a place called Collinsville. It's in the southern Illinois near St. Louis that is known as the tort capital of the country because 
uh, it's a very, very tort-friendly local jurisdiction. Illinois law is, is a bit different than, than what happens in Wisconsin because uh, we don't have that kind, of, the, that kind of tort reform. So trial attorneys in Illinois, we have a very, very strong trial attorney uh, bar association, uh, have been very, very uh, active in fighting against tort reform here. Yeah, and we have not been that that successful, and it's it's gotten I would say I don't know if worse is the right the right word, but it's uh, there's been uh, our our we have a malpractice damage cap here in Wisconsin that was found unconstitutional years ago. The legislature came back and acted a new cap, higher cap that was struck down like a year or two ago, and then our Supreme Court, which is quite conservative, reinstated the cap uh, just this last fall. And so it's, uh, there's, there's very little momentum towards, um, uh, I guess, legislation or rule changes that benefit uh, plaintiffs in Wisconsin, even though there's very few of these cases brought every year. And those that ultimately go to trial, very few of them prevail. It's just a, it's not a, it's not a great, uh, great way to make a living. Uh, but, you know, there are a few of us out there that still try and do it. Okay, usually at this point in the podcast, we have our guests give us basic tips for people with a particular legal issue related to your story. Just a brief disclaimer for our listeners, though. Nothing you hear on Law Stories can be considered legal advice. If you have a legal issue, contact an attorney who practices in that area. All right, Craig, you ready? Sure. All right. Say someone has recently had surgery, and lo and behold, they have developed an infection. They discovered that the infection was caused by a surgeon probably negligently leaving a sponge in the incision. What steps should that person take in finding an attorney and prosecuting their case? Well, uh, it may depend a little bit on what jurisdiction you're in, but what I can tell people is, is if you're going to, if you have any thoughts of hiring an attorney, talk to one sooner rather than later because the, the fees are no different. Uh, they're usually handled on a contingency fee basis, so you typically don't have to pay anything for the lawyer's time, but the sooner you can talk to someone and uh, get the medical records together, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, these are not the types of cases, I would say, generally speaking, that you want to go to your local small-town lawyer, uh, other than maybe to get a referral. Uh, these are cases that you want to search out and find someone that, that does these enough and has uh, enough resources to handle these because, like I told you, they're very expensive, very difficult to try. Don't, uh, don't take the first lawyer that you see, but be persistent. And be prepared to have lawyers tell you that they either don't take these cases or they don't think there's a case because they are difficult. And uh, oftentimes you have to have them reviewed by a doctor. We have every one of our cases reviewed by a doctor if we think there's something there before we ever get very far into it. Well, let's, let's, let's go through the process. Say, say you, you get the referral from, uh, let's say, a dairy farmer from Withy, Wisconsin. Right. And, uh, you know, they've, they had surgery because they got, they got kicked in the gut by their, their local milking cow, uh, from, uh, you know, during, during, during milking. And I had to have uh, gastrointestinal surgery and there is, there's somebody left a sponge in there. You get, uh, you get the referral from small town, Wisconsin. 
organic dairy farmer and uh, they, they show up in your office. Uh, what's, what, what, is, what is done in the intake? So the intake is um, learning as much as much information as possible about what happened, about you know what they remember, who the doctors were, who the nurses were, uh, all that kind of stuff. We try and learn as much as possible. We almost always uh, work with them or have them uh, request their medical records. This all comes down to the medical records in almost every case. So you get the medical records. I I sort of give my my prospective clients a little bit of the 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 talk that I just mentioned before about the challenge and difficulty of these cases and how these are things that we take very seriously. Uh, we will uh, try and have them reviewed. Sometimes we can get them reviewed for, for a smaller amount of money uh, and at least find out if there's something there, something worth investing additional time and energy in. And so we take it slow and we say we are, uh, we are going to take this one step at a time, have it evaluated and determine whether this is a case where, where you and we <laughs> – want to get in, in, in invested in a case that is very different than any other case you'll do. It's a very much a, it's a very much a joint exercise uh, and it requires commitment by both sides. And so we try as early as possible to make sure they understand that, that we're evaluating the cases and that we only go forward with cases that we feel have merit and a chance of winning because we don't do any any service to ourselves or our clients if we take on cases that just don't have any chance of, of winning, especially in the climate we have here in Wisconsin. So say this, uh, our, our dairy farmer has, uh, has a legitimate case then. Uh, what, what is done as far as discovery is concerned? What's, what's the, the process? Is it, how similar is it to any other uh, tort type case? Well, the, the, the litigation process is not much different. Uh, in, here in Wisconsin, we have a, um, a, a pre-suit medical mediation process that you're generally required to go through, although it really has proven to be pretty much pointless, and a lot of times both sides agree to waive it. That's something that's different. Um, yeah, we, have, I, we have mandatory arbitration in Illinois for anything that, that goes to a jury. Yeah, we have we have this mediation process, which I think was good in theory years ago, but it it never settles. And the other thing to keep in mind, and this is something I tell people, is at least in Wisconsin, the the, um, the way it's structured, the way it uh, the way our our system is structured, and and the and the doctors have uh, to carry a minimum uh, a million dollars of liability insurance, and then their exposure is capped. And, uh, and they also have to report any settlements, um, whether they settle a case for a dollar or go to trial and lose and have to pay a million dollars, the reporting looks the same. And so from their perspective, there's other than dollars and cents, there's no, no incentive to settle a case when they have, when they can go to trial and have a pretty good chance of winning. And, And so the reporting requirement is something that really alters the landscape both before suit and during suit, and they just don't settle. I mean, maybe your sponge case is different or if they amputate the wrong limb, something just really, really obvious. But if they have any plausible defense, my experience has been they will try the case. They will take it through, and that's why I, I 
once I have the initial review done, we go out and we find the experts, the doctors that are that are uh, have the qualifications and skills, and we make sure that we have a case and that they're on board before I ever file suit. And I've gotten into that process, found out there's no case, and we never file suit. So we do a lot of investment in in research and doctors before we ever file a lawsuit, which I would say is different than other litigation where you can just kind of, you can file the suit and sort of figure it out later. You no, know, yeah. that, that's, that's in general, the way civil litigation runs in our jurisdiction, you file the suit and then, then the discovery practice begins. And then at some point you find out how strong your case is through the discovery process, because, you know, until then you don't know what the other side has. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's, it's interesting how is this, it's the opposite in a state with strong tort reform than it is in a state that where uh, there's pretty much literal no, no tort reform. Everything is done basically as, as it was set up in the original days. Yes. Uh, it's uh, I, I think a lot of the, the, the tort reform, so-called tort reform efforts and the reporting requirement is one of the so-called tort reform uh, things that was supposed to, help patients or make patients, uh, allow patients to get better care because doctors that have to report are going to be more careful. It really doesn't work out that way. I think doctors just by and large are, are careful anyway, but what it does is it eliminates almost any possibility of, of resolution or settlement except in the most egregious of cases. And so it just, and what it means is, is it, it's, very easy for the for the defense to spend half a million dollars trying a case that they could have settled for fifty thousand dollars at the beginning. They just they either can't or won't. They say they can't, but they won't uh, settle. And that's and that's kind of where the tort reform uh, that was some of the tort reform that was supposed to benefit patients really has had the opposite effect. Quite frankly. Wow. So, Craig, any final thoughts? Well, I hope I haven't scared people away from malpractice cases. I, I, I enjoy doing them as a lawyer. I find them just very interesting, very challenging, um, and I, I enjoy doing them, and I continue to do them, but, I, but I'm more and more selective as I do them. And, and for lawyers that are listening, I would say, you know, if you have, and I refer cases and I co-counsel with cases and I would encourage lawyers that they get one of these cases to consult with someone else and, and see what you can do and work together. Oftentimes two lawyers, two law firms, it just, you can just accomplish so much more than one person can. So don't be afraid of them, but realize what you're getting into. And, uh, and, and generally speaking, you know, uh, I'm, uh, I'm fortunate that I've been able to develop a practice that allows me to have a, a very interesting work-life balance. I have a number of kids and we have our, our little farm and, and I started that way. I actually started in law school that way. I had a law school professor told me, he said, don't, don't just think that you can get out of law school and work your tail off for five years and then flip a switch and have this magic work-life balance. He told us to start in law school and I did that. And, uh, it really made a big difference, and I've had a I've had a very enjoyable uh, practice, and uh, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing, and I uh, I hope other lawyers can can say the same thing. 
Great. Well, thank you very much, Craig, for joining us today. This has been Law Stories brought to you by N2M Legal. Please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen for your pleasure. And if you'd like, please visit us at n2mlegal.com and partake of our various legal services. I'm James Skiles, President and CEO of M2M Legal, and thank you very much for listening. Law Stories with James Skiles is a production of 1A Cast Media in association with M2M Legal. All statements made by hosts and guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the producers or distributors of this program. Although the hosts and guests of this program are attorneys, no statements should be construed as legal advice. If you require legal assistance, contact an attorney licensed to practice in your area.